0: Hey guys, it's Dave Chang here, host of The Dave Chang Show. You might hear me on with Chris Yang, Noel Cornelio, and a host of other guests. We've been on air for quite some time now, and it's changed over the years. But one of the things we always try to talk about is what's delicious, how to be a better eater. And you might hear me rambling incoherently, contradicting myself every five minutes. We talk about some sports and culture and all kinds of other things too. I think we're the the most expert opinions you'll ever hear about anything. Check us out if you haven't before on...
1: For your Emmy consideration, visit fxnetworks.com FYC. This episode is brought to you by Hulu. Riley Keough and Lily Gladstone star in Hulu's limited series Under the Bridge, a chilling true crime story based on the acclaimed novel. Hailed as a riveting and heartbreakingly realistic work by the Chicago Sun-Times and featuring excellent performances, according to Time Magazine, The series is for your Emmy consideration in all categories, including Outstanding Limited Series and Outstanding Supporting Actress in a Limited Series for Keo and Gladstone. For more information, visit fyc.hulu.com. Hello, today is Wednesday, April 13th, and today we are talking to a legendary film producer. His name is Neil Moritz. He's produced 60 or so movies that you know. Most of them are hits, everything from Fast and Furious to 21 Jump Street, SWAT, I Am Legend, Cruel Intentions, Volcano, one of my favorite disaster movies. I think that was a bomb. I'm not sure. Um, But he is here today to talk talk about video game movies. He's the producer of the Sonic the Hedgehog movies. And what struck my eye was the fact that we've now had two video game movies in a row, Uncharted last month, and then Sonic the Hedgehog 2 this past weekend that have both been big hits. And that kind of flies in the face of the history of video game adaptations, everything from Assassin's Creed to Super Mario Brothers to Doom uh had tons of video game movies that have not worked over the years. So I was curious, how do these work? What what does it take to make a good video game movie? So we're going to talk to Neil Moritz about that today and some other stuff too. I worked in a Fast and Furious question to ask him about his longevity, a couple other things. It's an interesting conversation. I'm Matt Bellany, and this is The Town. All right, we are here with Neil Moritz. Neil is a veteran producer. Um, I'll use the term super producer, which uh, I know will make you smile. Uh, He is produced, I mean, movies go on and on, but the current movie that we are talking about is Sonic the Hedgehog 2, which opened to a gigantic $72.1 million this weekend, domestic, way above what people thought. And what interested me about bringing Neil on today was two things. First of all, his thoughts on the box office in general and whether people are willing to go back to theaters for certain types of movies, and if so, which ones. And also, the whole genre of movies based on video games, which is a graveyard of sorts of projects that... Have had high hopes, big franchises, everything from Halo to Mortal Kombat to Doom to Assassin's Creed just didn't work. And yet this one does. So welcome, Neil. Thanks for doing the pod. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. So so I guess we'll talk about your movie in a second, but why do most movies based on video games suck?
0: Honestly, I just approached it kind of in a different way. I never really played video games. That wasn't my thing. I was out playing sports and doing other stuff, but obviously I saw the merit of possibly turning a great IP into movies and what, why I thought Sonic could work was different than all these other video games at the center of Sonic is a great character. Okay. Most of those other games, there's not necessarily characters at the center of it. And I thought, Just when they started to talk to me about the character of Sonic, his foibles, his weaknesses, his strengths, that's what interested me. And that's what ultimately I think audiences are relating to. Not the fact that it was a video game, but the fact that they loved that character. Obviously, yes, there's a deep, rich history of Sonic and the games and the lore and the Easter eggs that we've tried to incorporate into the movie. But ultimately, I think they came to see the characters. And I think that made the difference.
1: And that gets to the question that I'm interested in here, which, you know, there was a movie about a decade ago called Scott Pilgrim versus the world, which was a very expensive um, fanboy movie. And I remember when that movie came out and it didn't do very well. It was good. I saw it, but the the knock on it was, yeah, it got the super fans. They loved it, but they don't make a movie a hit. It's got to play broader. And I imagine when you're approaching video game material, you have to have those conversations as to, okay, what do we do for the fans? But how is this a relatable story that families that have no interest in the Sonic game are going to be into?
0: Well, we we started with, we had to make something that super fans would love. We started there and then we broadened it out from there by having other human characters, having more relatable storylines um, so that people who were not entrenched in the Sonic world could enjoy the movies as well. We didn't take, I don't think we took either of those groups for granted. Um, But we knew we had to please the super fans. They were going to be the quickest out of the gate talking about it. And they were going to be the loudest and they became our ally during this process. Obviously everybody knows the kind of fame story of what happened on the first one. And
1: yeah, let's talk about that.
0: (laughs) So you had a, it's really simple. Uh-huh. it's really simple.
1: Well, let's let me say what happened first. So, you you guys released a trailer. The fans went completely crazy that the Sonic character did not look like they thought it would. It had these weird human teeth, it had legs that were too long. People freaked out. You guys interestingly, this and they were
0: complete and they were completely right.
1: Okay, well that's great, but you don't often see movie studios look at the audience reaction and say, you know what? We're going back to the drawing board. We are delaying the release of this movie. And we are essentially going to start over with how this character looks.
0: I remember it like it was yesterday.
1: Take us through that day when you saw the when you saw the reaction.
0: Here's what we learned. We learned that we had more views and more interest in something than we ever thought could possibly exist. <laughs> the problem was, is, is that all the response was negative about the character. But we were like, holy crap, people love and are really, if we can turn this ship around, we already know we got huge interest. So we had an all-hands-on-deck meeting the next morning in one of the boardrooms at Paramount, every department, and myself and the director and my producer partner, Toby Asher, sat there and said, this is what we're going to do. And we said, we are going to take the character back to what the audience loved. And we need X amount of dollars to do this, and we need to delay the movie. And I have to say, Sega and Paramount said, okay, you're right. And we did it. And we just decided we were going to make it right. It was, you know, obviously, I've made, I don't know, 60 movies that have groused, you know, $11 billion or whatever it was. But that challenge was a new and huge challenge for me. And we ultimately did not want to let the fans down, Paramount down, or Sega down, who had given us their crown jewel to go make a movie of. And, you know, literally we put everything into it to, to, to make it right. And uh, we listened. Have you ever heard of this happening before? No. And that's what was so interesting to me about it is, is like, we're going to do this. And then obviously when the next trailer came out with the new design and they, the, the super fans and the fans felt heard and they felt part of the process. And now they were on our team Honestly, the success of number two is based on the fact that the audience loved number one. It's an aid. I mean, it just happens over and over. If you make a sequel to a movie that did a lot of box office, but the audience didn't love, you're pretty screwed coming into the sequel. OK, but if you make a sequel, if you make a sequel to a well-loved movie, it's your best marketing you can have. And I I think on 21 Jump Street, that happened for us for 22 Jump Street. And Sonic 1 was our best advertising for Sonic 2. And that's, to me, why it did so well.
1: Uh, Yeah, certainly amongst my kid and his friends. Um, I think Warners is going to see that this weekend with the Fantastic Beasts movie, which is a sequel to a movie that was not that well-received. Two of them. So we'll see how that performs. But you get to this question of, people going to theaters and I know there's a gigantic debate going on in Hollywood with the streaming services and what movies should be in theaters, what movies should go direct to streaming. You know, we're coming out of the pandemic where the default was put it on streaming, get it out there. The audience doesn't want to go to theaters and we're seeing slowly people are coming back. Obviously your film this weekend was a big example of that. Where do you come down on the question of what kinds of movies you want in theaters versus what kinds of movies are for streaming? Would you, would you produce an original drama or action movie for theaters right now? Or do you want all branded IP stuff for theaters?
0: I mean, I I would do it, but it needs to have a great hook. I mean, uh, something that makes it special. I I think the, I think streaming is great and I've made movies for streaming and I'll continue to make movies for streaming. But to me, there is nothing like the communal experience of a theatrical movie and I, you know I went to the theater multiple times over the past week to see Sonic play and you know it's very hard to have a zeitgeist moment on streaming i mean you, i know you went to the movie with your son there's two particular instances in this movie that i don't want to give away but when those two things happen um one in the third act and one in the credit sequence the audience goes as bonkers as anything I have ever seen. You would never get that experience sitting there watching that at home or on a plane or wherever if you weren't watching in a large, big room with a lot of people. Um, It's an amazing thing. And that's the thing that creates these cultural moments that allow these movies to keep playing.
1: Was there ever a discussion about putting Sonic day and date on Paramount Plus or direct to Paramount Plus?
0: Over That was going to be over my dead body. There was no chance I was going to allow that.
1: Zero. <laughs> because you're here and you are uh, a franchise-style producer, I want to ask you a little bit about Fast and Furious. You are uh-huh. the producer of all of those films. Um, yeah, we,
0: we start the next one in a week.
1: I saw, yeah, you added Brie Larson. That's an interesting yeah. cast cast edition. Um, I was looking like put put some context around Fast and Furious. Is there another major franchise that is not based on pre-existing IP that has done anywhere near. I mean, I'm looking at like, obviously Star Wars was an original script. Um, you know, Avatar, we'll see what that ends up being. But in the modern age, is there anything that comes close to to Fast and Furious based on original script?
0: I, I can't think of one unless you go back to uh, Star Wars or maybe Indiana Jones.
1: Toy Story, but that's animated. That was an original script. Yep. yeah. But that's you know, but that's not that's not quite the
0: same. Yeah, and there's not ten of those. Um, right. <laughs> but it's 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 very it's very hard. I mean, honestly, I'm I'm you know I'm as proud of the fact that we took something and created IP as I am taking IP that nobody really valued and be able to make it into huge IP. I, I so so no uh, is that is the answer? I can't think of one.
1: What was the turning point when these became action blockbusters rather than uh you know car racing movies
0: number five
1: that's what i thought fast five
0: fast five when uh the rock came into it and we to me have maybe one of the top five action sequences uh uh, of all time where they're dragging the safe through rio you know which we really did and i mean to me that was like just took it to another level that people couldn't believe i couldn't believe it was standing on the the streets when we were actually doing this. That's how, just like visceral of an experience it was there, and then to see it on screen was incredible. I think that that just completely elevated things.
1: Ten is supposedly the last. That's bullshit, right?
0: I mean, that's that's, <laughs> our, that's our that's our plan right now. Yeah, he, but here's the thing: is people tr- always talk about well, have, have you planned out number two, three, four, five? And I'm the guy who always is saying, let's make a great movie. And then we'll figure out
1: the next one. The stakes are interesting in those movies and how big you guys go. I mean, there's the famous Seth Rogen tweet where they were joking about how the only place to go in Fast and Furious is to space. And then yeah. you went there. Yeah. yeah <laughs> so we, where, like, where, how, what are those conversations like and how you say, okay, where have we not gone and where can we take it while just stretching it enough that it doesn't become a parody of itself?
0: I mean, honestly, I think, you know, going forward, I'd like to actually go smaller. And I'd like to kind of start to go back to where we started.
1: Oh, interesting!
0: And I think that would be an interest. I think that's an interesting way to go. Honestly, I I like to zig whenever you know, Mm. and then zag. I I like to give them try and do something um, different. Um, And I think that that's what audiences demand nowadays. Like, obviously, Sonic Two became much more of a big action adventure movie than Number One. Um, You know, so we, we we try and. Kind of keep elevating. It doesn't mean that it has to be more expensive. It just to me going try and go in a little different direction.
1: Does that mean like the Fast and Furious art house Oscar contender? Um, Vin Diesel crying. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. All right. now, you've been a producer a long time. What what? And you've worked at several studios. You know, have had deals everywhere from Universal, Sony, Paramount. Why? What do you think is the secret to longevity? Because producers like you are becoming very rare where you are the non-writing, not, you know, you're know, you not J.J. Abrams or Shonda Rhimes, you produce movies and your skill is as a producer, not a writer or a director. What is the secret to longevity in that job? To me, the secret is
0: is the movie is my client. Each time out, like, yes, I have partners in studios and I have partners with all these people. But for me, I'm trying to take the macro view and the movie is my client. Obviously, I treat everybody the way I want to be treated. I work hard, so I demand everybody to work hard. But ultimately, if I had to say, I think my, be- my best skill is just my gut instinct and I really make my- all my major, major decisions based on just what my gut is telling me.
2: Mm. And
0: you know, I-, I read everything. I look at every. Data point, I look at tracking, I look at everything, but ultimately it's my gut. That's that's for me what I go with.
1: What's your best and worst gut calls on movies in your career? Oh, you can and you can name the movie. You can name the movie.
0: (laughs) Probably the movie that I would say that I felt the most on that was a movie that I made with my dear, dear friend Amy Pascal at Sony Stealth, where I
1: Jamie Foxx.
0: Where yeah, which I loved all the people involved, but When I first read it, I didn't want to do it. The deal kept getting offered to me better and better. um, And I shouldn't have done it, but I did it. So I blame myself. Um, I still had a good life experience out of it. But actually, no. And then you asked me the question about the longevity. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's really simple. If I keep making people money, I get to keep going.
1: Right. (laughs) What's your best call? What's your best call?
0: My best gut call. I would say early on in my career, um, aligning myself with uh, Amy Pascal at Sony was- was, She
1: ran Sony Pictures for many years.
0: Yeah, and we just had a great relationship. And it was a different time in Hollywood where she would say to me, Neil, you know, I need you to do this for me. And I would be, sure. I wouldn't even ask what it was. And I would say, you know, I need you to do this. Sure. It's a very different scenario, you know, in Hollywood today.
1: Did she put you on Twenty One Jump Street?
0: Uh, no, I actually brought her Twenty One Jump Street. Mm. Um, it wasn't that she put me on anything, or I. It was just, it was just a really good working relationship. Mm. But I've had a lot of those over over the time. But I just, I did treasure those years because you know I was a young guy, young producer. And it, I mean, it started ba- way back with like cruel intentions. And I know we did last summer, like way early on in my career where she just, I guess, saw something in me and she just kind of let me do my thing. And I think the skill that I provide for these studio heads is I can't always guarantee that each of these movies is going to be a success. But the thing that I can guarantee for them is they're not going to have to worry about it. Like, right.
1: Oh, there's so much value in that.
0: You know, like they don't need to worry about it. Like, I'm their partner, and I will involve them as much as they want to be involved. But ultimately, they know they're going to get a good, finished, financially sound film.
1: All right. So where does Sonic the Hedgehog go from here? Obviously, there'll be a three. Uh, Do you keep bringing back Jim Carrey?
0: I mean, I honestly, I want everybody back. Um, It's been one of the best. It's been one of the best creative experiences I've ever had. Our kind of core team of, you know, the people at Paramount, myself, Toby Asher works with me, Jeff Fowler, our director and some of the people at Sega. We just have an incredible nucleus. That is, we work incredibly hard, but we have fun and we love what we're doing. And I love making these movies. You know, the interesting thing is about making these movies, you make two movies because we go out and we shoot the movie and then we make a whole nother movie in post. It's a very different experience than than most movies. With you know, the animation by, is what you're saying. The live action movie, but yeah. 50% of it is animated and that's where kind of the characters get kind of created and refined and made better. And it's been a very, very rewarding experience for me, even if the movie Um, weren't as financially successful. It's just been a great experience. I've, you know, I've loved my experience at Paramount and uh, I hope to continue that there. And um, I I, I feel like all the people that have been involved at Paramount through a couple of regimes has all been additive. It's it's literally like it hasn't, it's just been an additive experience the whole way. And, you know, there's a great trust level between uh, them and us.
1: All right. Neil is the producer of Sonic the Hedgehog franchise. I look forward to Sonic 7 and Sonic 8 coming very soon. Uh,
0: My son son and daughter (laughs) will be producing those ones.
1: (laughs) And Fast and Furious 12, 13, 14, uh, where they they finally land on Mars. Um, All right. Thank you very much, Neil.
0: Thanks, you. Bye.
1: All right. We are back with the call sheet. My take it to the bank prediction of the day. Producer Craig, I got a good one today. Today, uh, the Amazon rebranded its free streaming service. It used to be called IMDb TV. It is now called Amazon Freebie, Freevee, F R E E V E E, which is an incredibly dumb name. But my prediction is this will be incredibly successful. And Am- wow. Amazon will know exactly how to turn this into a big, big service.
2: So... You're going to have to walk me through it because I have heard of IMDb TV. I wonder how many people listening have. And so this will just be Amazon's version of you just watch movies with ads?
1: Basically, you know, there's two types of streaming service. There's the subscription video on demand services like Netflix and Prime and Apple TV and you know Disney Plus. Those are the ones without ads. Then there is this separate tier of service that's ad-driven, which is like Pluto TV and Crackle and Tubi and Roku Channel, you know. And Simmons has talked about this. He loves to watch Pluto TV because you can just put it on and they've got old episodes of 90210 and, you know, with ads that you don't really watch, but they're on. I mean, it's just
2: TV. It's just like things that are on TV. It's just a streaming service that is just like a cable network.
1: But here's the thing. People love free. They really love free. And, you know, all of the growth problems some of these streaming services have had is because they charge. And people are looking closely at how many of them they subscribe to now. So, you know, there's a really strong feeling that these ad-supported services are going to pick up steam and become really popular. And if anyone can do the low-end, you know, ad-supported, lowest common denominator service really well, it would be Amazon. So I'm betting on this one.
2: And what are they allowed to show? Is it just movies that they own? Like they just purchased MGM, stuff like yeah, that? they
1: license stuff. They, you know, they'll get old episodes of TV shows. They'll probably put some stuff that's on Prime right now on the, the other service for, uh, with ads. And the MGM library they just got. Remember, people know the MGM movies, but there are thousands and thousands of TV shows that they have. So they'll just put them on the service. And they don't really have to position them as being premium because again
2: they're free. Interesting. Do you think in the future every single major streaming service like Netflix, Disney Plus, they will all have an ad supported service?
1: I do. I think they're all moving that way. Disney Plus has said that they haven't they're going to have an ad tier by the end of this year or next. Uh HBO Max has an ad tier. It's not free, it's cheaper, but uh but some people, you know, people complain about ads, but then when you put the price in front of them and say, "Oh, I can have HBO Max for half the price." Sure, I'll watch some ads
2: and then eventually we're just going to have a bunch of different streaming services that show television shows and movies with ads in between and it will be cable
1: basically yeah basically they'll bundle them together and they'll they'll just be it'll just be a new version of tv
2: <laughs> it's like how Uber. I, I think there was some report once that Uber was thinking about creating like a system that could pick up a bunch of people at once and drop them off on various locations throughout a city. And somebody's like, "Yeah, that's a bus."
1: Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Or you know, maybe you'll be able to just like put your hand up in the street, and like an Uber will see you, and they'll come and stop and pick you up. <laughs> so they'll just be constantly driving around your city, and you wave at them. Yeah. Uh, all right. That is the show for today. I want to thank producer Craig. I want to thank Neil Moritz. And I want to thank you for listening. We will see you tomorrow.
0: This episode is brought to you by State Farm.